We're back. We're back. This is a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Rob. How you doing, Rob? Feeling great, man. You know, like pretty great. Uh, that doesn't sound. That doesn't. It doesn't sound like you mean it. I need you to. I'm mean talking it. myself into it. I'm just feeling kind of. I don't know. You know, it's hack to point out that the sun going down at 4.45 p.m. impacts your mood. It has really impacted my mood. I feel like my days never start now. I'm just, like, constantly wondering if it's time for dinner all day long. I hate to, uh, I hate to go against you on this, but uh, I've decided that I'm, I'm tired of people bitching about daylight savings time. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a boring thing to bitch about. It's like Colin Robinson shit. Like, the, like the sun going down earlier and earlier, am I right? Like, it's just, a, it's a buzzkill. And yet it is real to me. Like, I've complained about it in the past. And I get, you know, the sort of uh, seasonal affect disorder light that everyone gets, you know, when the sun goes down that early. But also, like, this isn't fucking new. The law's been there my whole life. And, like, even if the law wasn't there, and they did change the law so that it's shorter than it used to be. But, like, you know, even if the law wasn't there, the days are still going to get shorter. Like, there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. Outside of altering the curvature of the fucking earth. So I don't, you know, like, I just got, I just accept it. It's just there. This is why I've dedicated myself to altering the curvature of the earth. Some people bitch about it, but I'm about change. As a small business owner, I'm about results. I'm a results guy. I'm in a frisky mood. I, I got my son, my last kid, vaccinated uh, over the weekend. Fucking A. And uh, I was like, like, my wife was like, look, it'll, you know, it'll, you know, the because vaccine supplies in Maryland which is, it's the same as the adult rollout. Our governor's a piece of shit. And, uh, you know, you can only get it for kids if you drive, like, to Cumberland on the edge of West Virginia and shit like that. And I was not, and my wife was like, just, it'll, you know, it, the log jam will clear up and it'll be available soon enough. And I channeled my mom. I was like, no! I was not <laughs> willing to take that for an answer. And so I just drove around. I drove my son to D.C. one day on a tip from McKenna, to a like a, a walk-in clinic, and the line—I shit you not—it was the longest line I had ever seen in my life. It was, it was like buying tickets to Def Leppard in 1987. Like the line—I yeah, was going to say like it was a, like a supreme drop, <clears throat> yeah. But everybody, but it was for mRNA. Yeah, like 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 an old like, like an old line for a new fucking iPhone, like in 2010. <laughs> like all those dipshits lined up at the fucking Apple store. This one went all the way down through like i don't know like like two large blocks and considerable blocks like i'm talking about like crosstown yeah, blocks i'm talking about like crosstown new york blocks i'm not talking about up and down new york blocks and then mm. it turned and then it kept going and i didn't even see the end of it and i said to my son well what do you what do you want to do he's like i don't want to i don't want to wait for this shit and uh and so we bailed which was good because they ran out of vaccine at that clinic. And then the next morning, I went to uh, one here in Maryland, and I tried to walk in without an appointment. Like, I like thought, like, maybe my charm would, like, work. I'm like, like, well, we don't have an appointment. I couldn't get one. And they're like, well, we have limited supply. And I was like, okay. Like, like, but I'm the internet's Drew McGarry. Yeah, yeah, Don't you know who I am? I'm the, we're back guy. I'm the brain guy. And they said, they don't give a shit. <laughs> and so then I, I drove him to Tyson's Corner in Virginia, and I got him vaccinated that day and he was like and he's nine but he was like fuck yeah and i was like fuck yeah boy we did it and now i can't find him an appointment for the second one but oh man but i got him the are first. you gonna go would you go to like salisbury or like just trump country like western maryland i mean maybe but i i'm in my mind i would but i know that i don't have to if i am dedicated enough if i work hard enough and i did i had the grit i pulled That's it together 
business owner mindset. That's how we do it. Hey, we have a guest. It's Lauren Tyson. Hi, Lauren Tyson. Hey, guys. What's up? We always leave Lauren hanging for so long. I almost long jumped in when he, he said would... Tyson's Corner. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, that's Lauren, right. Tyson's Corner is the part of the pod, uh, podcast that is dedicated to Lauren just talking about the Red Wings minor league facility. Yeah, we <laughs> should call it Tyson's Corner. That would be fantastic. Yeah. But then we'd have to have you on every, every week. Uh, I don't see the issue with that. No, yeah. of course not. Uh, how are you Tigers doing? Minute. How are you doing, Lauren? Uh, I'm doing pretty good, honestly. Like, uh, not. I don't want to like jump on the the sunlight complaining because I actually have really enjoyed uh, waking up and having it be like the middle of the day already. Like having <laughs> the sun coming in through the windows and like I don't know, it gets me going earlier. Uh, we don't need to talk about what happens in the evening, but uh, the mornings have been better. It actually, it's not bad to have that temporary morning reprieve because I have to get up at six thirty to like make my daughter. Like to see my daughter before she goes to school because she's out the door by seven o'clock. So I just want to see her and like help her with her lunch and all that shit. And getting up before dawn blows. Like I'm not gonna deny that. It fucking sucks. Yeah. But it has not been dawn like since the clocks changed. Now it'll be it'll be dark before dawn, you know, in like a few weeks or something like that. But a little temporary reprieve, like a little actual sunlight. My daughter was like, Hey, like it was light out. That's kind of nice. So like I now like I now am in my old age, understanding the farmer's side of the equation, even though like farmers haven't really needed that in like 30 years or whatever the fuck. So maybe, maybe my perspective as a childless middle-aged man with a mild drinking problem (laughs) disorder is not the objectively correct one here. Hard to say. I don't know. We will ever pin it down. Lauren is our hockey expert. And I have to tell you, Lauren, that uh, it was mentioned uh, in our work slack the other day. Uh, that the Seattle Kraken is their first season, and they had to be instructed by their own newspaper columnist to not get up at games. This is at at the arena to not get up while the puck is in play because that's bad form. And I have to tell you that because I have not been to a hockey game in many many years, I'd fucking forgotten about it and it made perfect sense. But I'm I'm glad that I re- was reminded of that in case the next time I go to a hockey game and I'm like, well, I could really use some popcorn right now, and I get up. <laughs> Yeah, I was reminded of like trying to like re-enter uh, Joe Louis Arena like from the aisle or from the concourse, and like I knew the rules. I've known the rules since I was very very young. But like the the condescending ushers would see you know like a ten year old kid or whatever and assume that they had to be like physically restrained from running uh, back into their seat uh, before the whistle blew. So that brought back uh, memories of being annoyed with certain staffers there. Well, that's what they wanted to ask. Like, shouldn't the Seattle ushers know this, or are they new to the etiquette too? I think something mentioned in the column is that the event staff, and you know, this is anecdotally true for me anywhere else, is that there just like aren't a lot of ushers nowadays. Uh, since like kind of returning back to to full capacity and everything, teams just like aren't hiring event staff, and that's that goes for every sport and like every form of entertainment, uh, frankly. But yeah, I just don't think there's anyone there to like really enforce rules right now. That actually was true at Astroworld that just came out. Yes. That the one of the reasons, and that's that's a whole story unto itself. And and there will be there will be serial podcasts about what happened at that Travis Scott concert. Um, but it came out that the, the, the event staff had absolutely no training in uh, security whatsoever. They just found guys off the street. And, of course, that ended up with people. Uh, and I don't have the number here, but like I think it was a dozen people being trampled to it's death. 14 people. Yeah, because that's the thing. Is it was at um, – what was the venue in Houston that it was at? It was at NRG Park, which I guess is like sort of around the football stadium and around some other stuff. But it's, to my knowledge, it's not a place that is like regularly hosting a lot of events. 
Right. So if they are hiring a big staff or something, it's all just like people that they're kind of picking up off the street. They're not going to have like a dedicated staff for just like a few events a year. I remember back in the day, like in like, you know, when I grew up before fire was invented and shit, there were two uh, trampling incidents. One was at Castle Donington, the Castle Donington Festival in England. And I think it was Iron Maiden on stage, but I can't remember that. And, uh, and another one was Guns N' Roses here in the States, and there was trampling. There's a and Pearl it was Jam like, one too, wasn't there? Which one? There's a Pearl Jam one? Yeah, prob- that one I can't remember. I think that was like a European festival too. Yeah, so but I remember all those indelibly because they were like it was a big fucking deal, and this one had even more deaths, and like and and I don't know. It seems like it's not it's not registering. Maybe because like Kendall Jenner said she was sad on Instagram about it, but it was fucking it's fucking weird. That I feel like it's registering. I feel like it's like a lot of what people are talking about right now. But I don't know. I mean, it just depends on who you follow and all that. Yeah, this is I true. Think True, because there's a lot. There's also like another sort of parallel conversation about it that's totally abstracted and psychotic and sucks, which is you see this incredible logistical and organizational failure, and people blaming it on demonic forces or like Travis Scott saying "Hail Satan" in a lyric or something five years ago or whatever, mm-hmm. and that is stupid and useless. But it's also, I think, a, a pretty small part of the the conversation. It's just if you spend time online, you see people surfacing it. In the same way that, like, dogs will bring you, like, a dead bird that they found. That's, like, the way that most Twitter users, <laughs> like, are with things that are dumb. They are! Like, hey, yeah. I hated this. Maybe you'll like it. Yeah, it's an old twist on Tommy Craig's. It's everyone on Twitter being like, here's a fart to smell. You should smell it. <laughs> Isn't it? Doesn't it smell terrible? It's just awful. Hey. I personally hated Roth, it. Roth, we did the podcast last week uh, right as the news broke that Aaron Rodgers had COVID and was unvaccinated and wouldn't be able to play against the Chiefs, a game that they would end up, that the Packers would end up losing 13-7. to um, And uh, I don't believe, I believe Rodgers would be able to play against Seattle this Sunday, but that's not the point. The point is that after we did that podcast, Rodgers went fully fucking insane, went on yep. Pat McAfee's uh, podcast, not once, but twice, went on the first time uh, to say that he got medical advice from Joe Rogan and uh, and that he had taken ivermectin, he had taken the fucking horse paste, and uh, and basically outed himself entirely as uh, as the absolute worst uh, anti-vaxxer in all of sports. And uh, he issued a mild. I, I I'm not even going to call it an apology because it wasn't even. Uh, he was just meeker on the McAfee podcast yesterday, and the NFL fined him. Uh, $12,500, which is less than a uniform violation that they handed out a week ago to other players. So where do we end on this? Should I be, like, annoyed or should I just be resigned that, all right, well, he's a fucking moron and there's going to be a fucking moron and that's that. I haven't really, yeah, I don't really, I haven't gotten, like, the energy built up in me to, like, get, like, furious about this. Like, obviously, like, I'm rolling my eyes at it and I'm frustrated by it and annoyed by it, but I'm not, like... I don't know. Like I, I didn't have the energy or the time really to like watch the entire of McAfee appearance. Uh, either of them, I just sort of uh, heard about it from other people. But I don't know. I think what's most interesting to me is that like the second appearance wasn't really any better than the first. But uh, because of the way like the narrative works and the media works and like things always need to be like progressing forward, and because he said the phrase like "I take responsibility," like I think that sort of closed the book 
for on the situation for a lot of people. Like he's no longer a capital D distraction. Uh, like that whole uh, that whole uh, saga is now kind of done for people because he like said the same things, but like a little bit calmer and like a little bit more uh, with some like apology words. So, right. He said know. he. I think, he said, if I may, I may have misled people, which he deliberately did. Yeah. I think like people kind of put an apology in his mouth, but that's probably good enough for, for most people, unfortunately. I don't know. Yeah. I'm mostly just kind of depressed about it all. Yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, it's frustrating because, not because I feel personally let down by Aaron Rodgers, in whom I have I no emotional investment. Well, I know you're a huge, you're a huge pack guy. Yeah. You're one of the, one of the Packers. Yeah. I expected a lot about him. But it is the sort of thing where it, it was funny that he blew up his whole shit as like chill hipster superstar sports guy. Like in the time that it took for me to eat part of my lunch that I was at with a friend last week, like it was remarkable. And yet also, I think to Lauren's point about it sort of already slipping into the past, like that's kind of axiomatic where this type of asshole is concerned is they're not going to change they're not going to if you go this far in the process and still don't understand the basics about how the vaccines work and why what they do like if you've had all of these opportunities to learn stuff and you've resisted learning it getting yelled at online not even directly yelled at online right but people calling you a butthead and making fun of you for three days is not going to change your mind like nothing's going to change his mind and that is the part of it that's depressing, not because I feel like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter that Aaron Rodgers isn't vaccinated, you know, that it's just one other person standing between us and, you know, whatever. I don't even think people say that 80% is going to get to endemicity anymore. Like it doesn't, I don't know where that, that finish line is. But it's just kind of a reminder of how unreachable people who are, determined to be unreachable are and that's a that's a fucking drag yeah. i mean I, well, it's hard I, to hear things when you're in a cancel culture coffin that's right <laughs> i was gonna say he's in the <laughs> casket and everybody's he's banging on it he's like let me out you know and everybody's like no fuck you man and it's tough that's a really that's not a conversation you can't convince someone when you put him in a casket well yeah i do think i do think the shame is that you know like like today juan soto of the national said that he finally got vaccinated after not getting vaccinated all of the 2021 baseball season so i mean i think the irritating thing is that there are people, there are hearts and minds you can change, but um, there is a certain segment, and I don't think it's terribly large, and I don't think it's terribly representative of people like Aaron Rodgers who just will not be swayed because they're they're so high on their own assholery, right? They just and yep. there was always hints that Rodgers was like this because he's bitched about cancel culture in the past, and he's and he's hung out with Dave Portnoy, and we already know what he's all about, right? So. You know, you know, I think it was always there. It just, you know, he's sort of, last week was him in full bloom as a raving shithead. And the shame is that it just, it essentially, um, you know, it, it paints all, and I, I, this is not going to come out right, but it paints all the people who have not gotten vaccinated with the same brush. And there are people still who have not gotten vaccinated either because they genuinely just don't have very good information, they don't have access uh, they think it might cost money when it doesn't, and things like that. And there are people like the vaccination rate in the in this country is steadily climbing and will go higher because people like my son can now get vaccinated. 
And because there's a fucking cure for the goddamn virus that's going to be on the market in 2022 that Aaron Rodgers would probably not take. So I think it's just a shame that that there is not more representation of people who have changed their minds. Because in my stupid neoliberal brain, I think to myself, well, you know, there's a chance here for someone like Kirk Cousins to like, like be the face of the mind changers. And the like Kurt Cousin face turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you could do you could do a COVID face turn and be celebrated and like maybe even get a fucking Arby's endorsement. I don't even fucking know. But I know that that's all bullshit because no one's gonna pay attention to that because like me, they're gonna pay attention to all the shitheads. And so that means Aaron Rodgers and the University of Austin get way more press than they actually deserve, which is a shame. Lord yeah, Jesus. it sort of bums me out. And that's like one of the main things I was thinking about sort of in the context of all this is that I just like don't feel like I have a good enough sense of like what the country at large sort of thinks about Aaron Rodgers now and thinks about vaccination stuff. I mean, you can look at the numbers and look at see that like a majority of the country has been vaccinated and, you know, has good feelings about that. But like, I just don't know. Like because of the way that people can pick out all of these different voices and the loudest ones obviously like make the most impact. I just like I don't I don't know what people feel about this. You know, I have my own little like vaccinated Brooklyn like bubble of people. And most of my family back in the Midwest is or I think all my family back in the Midwest uh, is vaccinated too. But like most a lot a big chunk of Michigan isn't, a big chunk of even New York City isn't. Like I I just don't have any kind of sense of like public opinion what we're all feeling right now all that stuff yeah something i've been thinking about of late is that the abstraction that i think has sort of like pulled this back and and made it all much slower just the idea i think of people kind of being resistant for reasons that have to do with their own identity or their own politics or any of that sort of stuff that all of which seems very much a second order concern to me relative to being hospitalized or dying from the virus that we're talking about. Why, yes. I think that that is possible, you know, and Drew mentioned people being sort of just afraid to interface with healthcare in any way, because every time you do that, $2,500 leaves your bank account regardless. Like that is, that's all real. And I think that it's easy to get frustrated with someone like Aaron Rodgers because he has access to all of the information, all of the best treatment, and still chose to like swallow a crystal blessed by a stand-up paddleboarder <laughs> instead of actually <laughs> getting treatment. And that's that's on him. But I think that the the fact that it feels like there isn't really an end game for any of this that it, at this point even after all this time that there isn't a direction that all of this is moving in beyond, you know, protect yourself, like take care, do these responsible things and like just sit tight. I have no problem doing that stuff. I'm very patient. I just am also capable. It's, it's in me to empathize with people that are like, fuck this. This is stupid. It's not getting fixed. Nothing is changing. Where does this go? Because I feel that way too sometimes. Well, that's actually. Yeah. I'm not going to complain about having to ride, you know, ride the bus while wearing a mask or whatever. Like that's fine. I don't need to smell everything that's happening on that bus. But I also don't. I would love to be able to more easily envision a future where I don't have to do that. It is yeah. a uh, to me, it's a failure of leadership. And the, there was an Atlantic piece about this where it has not been made clear by the Biden administration or by the CDC, sort of, you know what the end game is, because I think they were spooked when they lifted the mask mandate and then had to reinstitute it, much to a lot of people's chagrin. And so it felt like 
everyone was getting mixed messages and they don't want to have mixed messages anymore. So there's really no message. But I will tell yeah. you, and I'm looking at it right now, um, 68% of the uh, entire population has had uh, at least one dose of the vaccine. But that's accounting for people who are not eligible, who include children for a very long time. So uh, 79% of people 12 and up have had it. 81% of uh, adults 18 and up have, have had at least one dose. And 98% of people 65 and up have had at least one dose. And the second dose lags a little bit behind. But those are not bad numbers. And that's why I ate inside a restaurant yesterday for the first time in a, a few, few months. Yeah. And it was, it was quite enjoyable. So all you, I mean, it's all, everybody's making that decision. Uh, this is what I guess goes to your point. That they're making that decision for themselves on their own personal risk tolerance with the information that they have. Right. Right. Which, but it's frustrating that, like, everybody can have such different information. Everyone's going to have different risk tolerance. That's fine. You know, we're people. But the idea of it just sort of being adrift and you have to do your own digging, like, a lot of people aren't going to do that. A lot of people are going to do that digging and land on fucking Joe Rogan, you know? like, And that's really vexing to me. Uh, the other thing is that it got... One of the reasons I think that that, that story about Aaron Rodgers is fading a bit is because just last night, uh, news broke that Dalvin Cook of the Vikings... Uh, was being sued by an ex-girlfriend for assault. And the weird part about that was that the news broke when Adam Schefter tweeted out not the story itself, but all of Dalvin Cook's lawyer's account of what happened, which was that someone broke into Dalvin Cook's house and he was he was acting in self-defense. And it was only like, I think it was an hour later, when the Star Tribune uh, in Minneapolis released the actual report saying that, no, it was Cook who was being sued for assault. And then, after that, Schefter tweeted, well, here's an update from SportsCenter about the dueling opinions, or the, he used the word fucking dueling opinions, on what happened with Dalvin Cook. And that was like, it was the most half-assed shit, because he, like, whenever, like, Adam Schefter sucks, right? And, but I expect him, when he breaks news, to have it be relatively normal. Like, someone's hurt, Someone got traded. Well, you know what it is, you know? Oh, like it's, oh, I know. It's a fucking agent telling him what to do, right? Yeah. But still, I, I, I do expect him to give, uh, you know, some sort of basically correct version of events. But this is like, to me, it's a sign that he just does absolutely does not give a fuck anymore. Yeah, and I know people at ESPN are pissed about it. And it sucks because it's the first impression everybody got of the story was not... Uh, the woman accusing Cook uh, of assault, but instead, uh, you know, Cook's versions of events, which now have proliferated ever since and have more or less overtaken the original story to begin with. And Lauren Tyson, like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. It's, and I'm, I'm not saying this is a Vikings fan because, you know, I've had Vikings in the past commit some pretty heinous acts and have not been on their side for it. Uh, but to have it reported out this way, I think is, it's kind of unusual. I have not seen anything like this happen. Yeah, uh, I would tend to agree with that because I think my initial reaction, I saw the Schefter tweet before I saw any other news about it and it was entirely framed as like, I think it literally said like, uh, if, you, if you could do like big print and small print in a Twitter, uh, Twitter thread, it was basically like Dalvin Cook is a victim of domestic violence. And then much later it was like, according to his attorney. And so, yeah, like my initial reaction to it very much was like, oh, this is, a different case than what we're used to hearing about. And then obviously I should not have just like immediately sort of trusted Adam Schefter uh, and waited, 
you know, now, now that I, you know, have seen all the other reporting about it, I have a much different opinion on it all, but yeah, first impressions are really powerful and they do. Right. Because so there was no narrative and yeah. Cause there was no other reporting in, in this vacuum Mm-hmm. Between bef- before uh, before the Star Tribune report dropped, so the first thing anything anyone heard about it was Schefter offering the defense of the story and not the story itself, which I think yeah. is. But since there was nothing yet to defend against, it just came off as an attack on the woman that has accused him. Yeah, yeah. it was almost it's like something. It really is like a step more sinister than the usual Schefter stuff because even if you read it through the lens of an Adam Schefter scooplet, which is, you know, it's just doing someone else's laundry or whatever, or PR, I guess, more accurately. Yeah. In this case, I, I don't think I've seen him do, like, Jay Glazer will do the reputation fluffing stuff. That's mostly his specialty, you know, or it's like, like the Richie Incognito that only I know, like that sort of shit. Nice friends with all those guys, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Schefter, in this case, like, you know who he is and you know what his job is and stuff, but I don't think that I would have taken him for somebody who would like launder a domestic assault thing for someone. I think those lines at ESPN are just like breaking down more and more in like ways big and small. There's like, uh, you know, like Jessica Mendoza doing like work for, is it the Mets? Yeah, it was. Doing work for the Mets while also being a broadcaster and uh, you know, the scoop hounds tweeting out things that are like clearly like crypto press releases for random athletes or like C-list celebrities or whatever. I'm like, feel like I'm seeing that more and more. And like, that's not to insult the many people at ESPN who do really good journalism work, but it does seem like they just care about it less than ever uh, in terms of keeping that line separate between uh, the kind of reporting insiders and the people that they're reporting on. I think Schefter's a special case. I just think I'm used to it from Woj, and I'm used to it from from other, and you know, I'm used to it from like Ian Rappaport, NFL Network, and stuff like that. But this seems particularly negligent and almost willfully so. Like he doesn't really even want to fucking be there anymore, and like just wants to go to Caesar's Sportsbook or some shit like that. So. Yeah, I mean that seems to be like the real. I mean that's where they should have been in the first place. That all these scoop guys, because that's basically it's gambling intelligence. It's who's you know who's inactive and informing a start-sit decision for someone who's, like, placing a bet. Right. The idea of, like... For that's any, why, I, know, need, that's why I follow the fucker. <laughs> yeah, and there is part of... Right, same. And it's, like, the idea of, like, everybody kind of wants to be knowledgeable about stuff like this. That's the appeal of the sort of, like, the gambling blowhard, you know, which is, like, an, every other way is, like, the most repellent personality type imaginable. The guy that, like... It's constantly telling you why you're wrong to, you know, and you should be betting on the Mavericks or whatever. Or you should be running the Mavericks. Like, I ran the fucking Mavericks. Yeah. But in that case, I think that there's still, like, to Lauren's point about, like, that line breaking down, that ESPN has done some of the very best journalism about serious topics. I mean, the the Feneruwada's stories about, like, brain damage and football players, CTE, that all started, you know, I think that believe that was them. That yeah. like the certainly like Baxter Holmes with Robert Sarver like that is an ESPN a lot of the story. Larry, Larry Nasser reporting came out of ESPN. Yeah, and like there is like that reporting is too important to be jeopardized in an associative way by putting it next to shit like what Schefter did with, with Dalvin Cook, and it does have an effect because it is all under the same roof. And if it's the sort of thing where you could, as a cynic, 
point to it and be like, look, they'll just fucking say anything. Like, then it makes it that much harder to say things that are true and have them land, I think. Like, I don't know if that's too much of an old man opinion or whatever, but it does bum me out for that reason. Uh, let's take a break and come back. Yeah. And talk about fun, funner stuff. We'll be right back. And we're back. And since we are back, let's have a Tyson's Corner right now. The debut yes. of Tyson's Corner. Tyson's and let's Corner. Do, and I'll do the goal siren. Tyson's Corner. Uh, Lauren Tyson, uh, one thing that I noticed in the world of hockey, because I always pay attention to hockey in November, is that Jack Eichel was traded from the <laughs> Buffalo Sabres uh, to, I believe, Vegas. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, what was, what's the deal there? Yeah, so it's, um, I think you could kind of draw some comparisons between Jack Eichel and Ben Simmons in the sense that they're both sort of similar caliber of players in a lot of ways. I think Eichel is probably better, but um, similar caliber players who have just like had their bridges completely burned with uh, their original teams. Eichel was on the Buffalo Sabres who were very bad for a very long time and have continued to be pretty bad. Um, And he had a herniated disc in his back, I believe. And he and the team disagreed about what kind of treatment that they should uh, proceed with for that. And because of that disagreement, he uh, has continued to sit out for those medical reasons. So that pretty much ended his relationship with the Sabres. Uh, it was obvious he was going to get traded even just heading into the season and throughout this past off season. Uh, and eventually that happened. Uh, a few days ago, he got traded to the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, there's no real timetable yet for him to actually get on the team, uh, which is too bad because the Knights are dealing with so many injuries right now and could use that kind of immediate boost of Eichel. But uh, at some point, ideally, you would hope uh, he suits up to for the Vegas Golden Knights, who were already like one of kind of the deepest uh, and scariest teams uh, in the NHL heading into this year. Now they look even scarier if they can like figure out a way to fit everyone under the salary cap and stay healthy. So yeah, that's like a very exciting development uh, in hockey. And I'm glad that Eichel got out of Buffalo. That's what everyone in the uh, general store in Tyson's Corner, that's all they're talking about, <laughs> getting together, buying some seed corn. It reminds me actually not of Ben Simmons, but actually of Trent Williams, who was with the Washington football team. And they misdiagnosed an injury of his and, and treated it in a way that he did not enjoy. And so he held out all of... 2019 until they finally traded him to San Francisco. And then he graded out as the, as the number one tackle in pro football focus in 2020 after Washington had not only uh, misdiagnosed him and this is a matter of like a growth in his head uh, and, and then uh, traded him away for nothing. And he ended up being, uh, you know, the best tackle in the sport. So these teams that, you know, misdiagnose physical injuries, the, the Ben Simmons thing I think is different because We've gotten now into this, frankly, really ugly sort of discourse as to... Yeah, that is mostly about egos, I would say. So yeah, it is different. And also you got everyone speculating about whether or not he's really mentally ill, which as someone who has had mental illness, I don't really appreciate all that much. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like great. It's, 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 different. it's different to me when it's about a much more sort of, and I don't want to say basic physical injury because a herniated disc, I've had three of them, it sucks. Uh, and Trent Williams had a fucking head injury that I, I don't know it could have killed him or something like that, but it seems a bit more the the dispute seems to be a bit more clear cut for those of us watching from the outside. Yes, I would agree with that. I think with um, the Eichel situation, I mean, it was like an interesting 
if you could kind of detach yourself for it, it was sort of an interesting dispute where the Sabres wanted something that uh, would have probably gotten them back on the ice maybe a little quicker. And it's like a more common fix for hockey players, but uh, it could have had like more potential for longer term damage. And Eichel wanted the procedure that if I'm not mistaken, had never been done on a hockey player before. And so there are a lot more unknowns surrounding like what that recovery looks like. Yes, I believe you wanted a disc implant, which is, uh, I, I believe still- yeah, sorry, I'm saying this is like not a doctor or anything, but that is like my very like- Drew's our back expert. I am I am the back expert. I do, I do know- the Gary's corner, talk about backs. Yeah. So the team was being normal and he was being weird, broadly speaking, is that right? No, 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 no. Um, the team, they just wanted different things and the team okay. wanted something that seemed to be more in their self-interest. And Eichel seemed to be coming from the place where he was more concerned about like his long-term health and like what his body would look like after hockey. Um, so just in those situations, I tend to side with the guy who has to live with the body for the rest of yeah. his life. Yeah, uh, yeah I would agree with you on that. Sounds like a sort of a conscious uncoupling type of scenario, kind of a, you know, Gwyneth and Chris type of scenario there. We're going to keep a, we're going to stay in Tyson's corner with our guy of the week. Do you remember a guy, Lauren Tyson? I picked a hockey guy. Yeah, let's remember a guy. Your, your guy of the week to remember Grant Fuhrer. Do you remember Grant Fuhrer, Lauren Tyson? I remember a Hall of Famer named Grant Fuhrer. I don't That's think I remember right. a guy named Grant Fuhrer. Drew is really working this whole there's no distinction between guys and dudes thing of late. Oh, this is, uh, yeah, this is going to get me in trouble the same way Thierry Henry got me in trouble. Grant Fuhrer, actually, like the back half of his career, like after he left Edmonton, that's a very like guy sort of career where he like mentored Dominic Hasek and was like on a blues team and got injured in the playoffs and then just kind of wrote out his last few years. But like on the Oilers... That's what I remember. I remember him be the guy phase of his career. Yeah. If you erase his Oilers career, he's absolutely a guy. But like his Oilers, like the Gretzky Oilers that he was on, those numbers are fascinating, honestly. Like they look like they're from another planet. And I don't necessarily mean that as a compliment. But like if you look at Fear stats, he was like one of the best goalies in the NHL when he was younger. But like the kind of like the amount of goals that he let in would have him be like a fringe NHLer in today's game. And then he also got like double digits of assists. Played faster. Well, goaltending wasn't really invented until the 1990s. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was like pre kind of butterfly revolution, and the pads were all different and like both like smaller and heavier. I think, um, and just like the way that the game was played was definitely different. Uh, but yeah, he like probably got like double digit assists at least more than once in a season. And nowadays, if a goalie gets like more than one in a year, that's pretty crazy. So yeah, his stats are just like all over the place if memory serves. Uh let's get into the fun bag. You want to get into the fun? We've done we've done our little hockey. I uh, could talk about Grant Fear for another like five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. You know what? You know what? This is Drew's fault. I'm I'm not mad at you, I'm mad at him. I'm gonna remember an actual guy, actually, real quick. Dan Cloutier. Ooh. That's my that's my who, guy of the week. Who was this guy? Uh he was just like a Vancouver Canucks goalie, uh in like the two thousands, I guess. Oh, all he right. had um, he had like kind of a unique mask. He wore like the cage, the I think they call it the bird cage mask. Um, I remember, I remember Kirk McLean. That is the only Canucks goalie I remember, but it was only because he was in the nineteen ninety four Stanley Cup duel with Mike Richter and the Rangers. Ah, uh, yes, in the year the year that they broke the uh, the nineteen forty streak. Uh, this is from Jack. Jack writes in Lauren when watching games, which I still do religiously. I often spend a ton of time during all of those games checking shit out on the internet and only looking over when I hear the announcer's voices getting excited about something. And I do this often for every sport. I feel bad about this because when I was a kid, I used to watch every game this closely, even when my team, 
much more closely, even when my team wasn't even in contention. And I miss that having sort of, that sort of unfettered love for my teams, even in years when they weren't really good. Is this just normal getting old? Or is this proof you won't ever have the same fandom you once did when you were 13 years old? Lauren, what do you think of Jack's plight? That's like part of getting old because, uh, I mean, this is the same with like years of your life, but like every season for a team that you like is like a smaller percentage of seasons that you've seen from them. So like when you're 13 years old and you've perhaps like never seen your team make the playoffs before, uh, the first time they do that, it's like so freaking awesome and it blows your mind. Uh, but you know, if they do it like five more times over the next couple decades, it's like still really cool, but it doesn't like, you know, the first time you're really into pretty much anything, like it's always uh, going to be more awesome than like once you're sort of used to it as like a yearly occurrence. Yeah. I think you develop a tolerance for stuff like this. I mean, there's more distractions in the world and stuff, but like the Mets winning the world series when I was eight years old was legitimately the best thing that had happened to me (laughs) to that point in my life. You know, but yeah. it was like, it was because I was eight, like the, whatever, the second worst thing that had happened to me at that time in my life was like falling off a bike. Also like those players can be like your heroes and it's not like, it's like normal. Yeah. It's a lot weirder to like idolize athletes in your, you know, twenties and thirties and beyond, uh, versus like when you're nine and you're supposed to like, think all these people are like Superman. I also, yeah. I just think it's, it's normal given the times to be distracted. Like yeah, when I was 13, I watched only the game, but I couldn't do anything else. I didn't have a fucking phone. There was no internet. <laughs> right, right. And like now, like I remember when I first got Twitter, and I've been on Twitter since 2008, and I cannot fucking believe it. Like, am I going to be on Twitter when I'm like 70? That can't <laughs> possibly happen. But anyway, uh, like I remember like, when, you know, uh, 10 years ago, I would be watching a game and like and like thinking about it in terms of Twitter, like oh, I got to tweet about this, and then miss a play because I was busy tweeting, which I still do to this day. But I don't feel anywhere near as bad about it now as I used to. It's just kind of the way it is. I feel like a lot of games suck and aren't worth watching. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the other. I mean, like if I watched every inning of every Mets game over the course of a year, like I would be well, I would be similar to where I am now, but my brain damage would be so much more severe that it would be difficult for me to, I think, even form words and speak them all. You know, Roth, we've danced around the Mets all podcast. and I know, and I really appreciate that, and I think we should continue no, I, to do I it. think it's time we... we I think it's the right It's only time we talk about it, because they cannot find a general manager. They, they keep, no, they can. They keep saying, well, we'd like to talk to, like, X guy, and X guy's always like, no, I don't actually want to do that. Uh, and so I'm just wondering when you're going to throw your name in the ring and when you're going to run the Mets. Because to me, it, you seem like the, the best candidate. You seem like the only candidate. I'm one frankly. of the better candidates. At this point, the candidates that are most compelling to the team are people that own... It's basically about how many quarter zip, sweater, fleece type items you own. <laughs> and I don't have any. Like, it's all... It's hoodies and it's, you know, the shirts from the thrift store that built my powerful brand... I don't have, uh, I think, the background that they're looking for. But if I can fake a LinkedIn page that makes it look like I went to Dartmouth, uh, I think that I do have a chance. I, uh, they're going to hire a guy, and I think that the guy that they're going to hire is, and this is interesting only to me, and I'll do it quickly. This is my, whatever, a Tyson's corner of my own. Uh, the dude that they, I think, are going to hire that they're leaning towards was a very highly regarded assistant GM for the Nationals until 2017, 
when he left because he wanted to go work in, in big law. Like, he's been doing mergers and acquisition stuff for Jones Day, which is, like, a Republican-aligned law firm, but it's, like, 2,500 lawyers in it. So he's just been doing, like, M&A stuff in fucking Pittsburgh for four years. And he was very highly regarded before that, but he's absolutely... I mean, first of all, he's the guy that they've landed on because... uh no one that actually has a job in baseball wants to leave that job for the job <laughs> with the Mets, which, uh, you know, is fine. Seems normal. Uh, a lot of lot of healthy organizations have that problem. But I think the other thing is that, like, the, the reason that nobody wants to take the Mets job, like, it's not because of people like me entirely caring about the Mets. It's because there's so much, like, legacy holdover shit from the Wilpons, like, from... Stephen Cohen's uh, sort of like Dick Tracy villain circle of friends that are like all involved, like Chris Christie's involved in the executive search process and all that, that because those people are there, nobody that wants to hire their own guys, implement their own vision and sort of overhaul the front office in the way that it needs to be overhauled, you wouldn't go there because you know that's not going to happen. This guy would be the dude with the quarter zip that takes the heat for... Sandy Alderson and Steve Cohen and the people that are actually going to be making the decisions. And I guess I can see how that's better than working at a big law firm in Pittsburgh. But, you know, the more compelling and the more depressing part is that, like, it's still it looks like the worst job in baseball somehow, which is really amazing because, like, they have the fucking richest owner and they play in a city that uh, a lot of people like. I, uh, I own a quarter zip that my mom gave me from Vineyard Vines, and I will, wow. loan, I will loan it to you so that you can get that job. Yeah, that's, I would love, and also just in general, I, th- I should probably take some, some elocution courses and all that, get different glasses, uh, smaller. I think your experience coaching the University of Austin would really that's right. skyrocket you up the top of the, the top of the candidate list. Yeah, I have built a winning program and in, in like sort of implemented a culture, yeah. and that's a what I- A 500 program at least. Yeah, so what I did to get us to the middle part of Conference USA with the University of Austin, I would love to do that with the Mets. I think we can finish with a better record than the Phillies eventually. Because, Roth, if you, if you don't do it, the Jones Day guy is going to turn down the job, and then you will have Chris Christie hired as the GM and, like, eating potato skins in the luxury box. Go, oh, we should hire my friend Scott. Like, just shitty Chris Christie, like... Just ult- just the ultimate indignity of having, like, the worst possible GM. What if, imagine you're on, like, a Zoom call, like, an interview for a job. It's, like, the second round. And you're like, I think I might have a shot at this. And then, like, fucking Chris Christie joins the call, and he's got, like, ham hanging out of his mouth. And he's like, I'm sorry, I'm late. We had to restart the, I, you know, I need to get a new version of Zoom. Unbelievable. <laughs> Fuck that. Like, come on. Oh, Matthew writes in, it's a little late, but I don't care. What would be the goofiest, funniest thing to drop in a kid's trick-or-treat container at Halloween? Of course, it can't be too harmful or too weird. The leader in my head right now is a baggie of guacamole. What are your thoughts, Lauren? What would be the weirdest (laughs) shit to drop into a trick-or-treat container? Uh, What about one of those little mints that they give you on the hotel pillows? You just spray like, lightly, softly. If, if, If it was unwrapped... Like, yep, just loose chocolate of any kind <laughs> is obviously not what you There was one house when I was a kid that came out like dimes. Like dimes, like the yeah. coin. Dime. We had a change house. We had a little raisin box house, mm-hmm. which was always kind of a drag, but I was like, I get it. Like, you know, whatever. Thank you for it. At least it wasn't just like biblical literature because we had one of those too. <laughs> 
Uh, Andrew writes in, if I watch the Dukes of Hazard today, am I racist? Clearly the Confederate flag and calling the car the General Lee are massively problematic, but the Duke boys hated the police and the establishment. I don't actually want to watch the show, but the theme song popped up on a TV theme song list I was listening to, and I started to wonder. Uh, I Like, I had to watch, like, Gone with the Wind for an article for the New Republic, and I watched it. Like, I knew, like, everything that was wrong with it, and there's a lot of shit wrong with it. I, th- I think it's, like, if you watch the Duke, Dukes of Hazard. And you're like really cheering for them Duke boys and you really like the fucking car and all that shit. Then you got a problem. Lauren Tyson, do you have any problem with someone in 2021 watching the Dukes of Hazard for pleasure? Yeah, I've never seen, I don't really know a whole lot about it, but I'm going to say that you're, like, you're probably not racist for watching a television show. I mean, if you make it like your entire personality, that's maybe kind of a red flag. But like, right. I don't know. I'm like interested in a lot of like trashy stuff from the 70s. Like I listened to a Ted Nugent song a couple days ago. Uh, which, yeah, which one? Wango Tango. Nice. Wow. I was hoping you would say Wango Tango. <laughs> Ted Nugent from? From Michigan. From Michigan. Where on, the, where on the mitten is Ted Nugent from? Uh, you know, I actually don't know offhand. He's definitely like, at this point now, he hangs around the sort of middle part of the state. But he is the Motor City Madman, so it would stand to reason he's from Detroit. Yeah, but I think he's moved away from all the, you know... Liberal cancel culture. Grand Rapids Grand Dragon now. Yeah, maybe maybe he, maybe he grew up in fucking approach. Gross Point or some shit. Like now, yeah. <laughs> Wait, hang on. I'm gonna look. I it think up. so. I loved Dukes of Hazard as a kid. I'm like just old enough that like I thought it was cool when I was like because I was I was really obsessed with cars as a as like a six eight you know year old and. All I remembered about the show was it was like a third car chases. That was all it was. And they would like jump their their cool car over, you know, a broken bridge. And then Always. the lawman would get mad and spike his hat on the ground and stuff. But they weren't doing racist things. Like they weren't like, they were like moonshining and like getting into rural trouble, right? They were, like wasn't, that, am I wrong about they that? They were like, they were, they were, they would always jump over a bridge and the, they would, yes. they would freeze frame. And then the. And then the narrator would be like, them Duke yeah, boys. Yeah, it's fucking Waylon Jennings. Yeah, and then and then like Boss Hog would be like, er, them Duke boys. Yeah. And then Roscoe, Roscoe would be like, go get him, Flash. Like he'd stick his dog on him and shit. And then there'd be like, there'd be a shot of Catherine Bach in short shorts. And like, and then they'd roll the credits. And I don't, I, I watched it when I was a kid. I don't remember. Cool, actually. I don't remember a yeah. single goddamn thing that happened on the show. By the way, Ted Nugent was born in Redford, Michigan, but raised in Detroit proper, so he is a child. Oh, I mean, like current uh, incarnation of Ted Nugent. Oh, who the fuck? He lives like in the, militia. Ted Nugent. Yeah, he right. Yeah, he lives in a fucking bunker somewhere. Uh, this is the email of the week is from Hector. He writes in something distressing happened to me when I realized that the new episode of the Distraction was going to be a hater's guide to the baseball playoffs. I found out that I was actually looking forward to Drew singing "Haters Get" and that weird elongated <laughs> grunt. That is his singing voice. The knowledge of this fills me with self-loathing. Is this some sort of Stockholm Syndrome thing? Does Roth also suffer from this affliction? And if so, how does he cope with it? Please advise. Roth, do you have any advice for Hector? I absolutely love it. It's different than... See, the the mashups were tough for me because uh, I was always wrong. And I was always wrong-footed. And there would be like... You know, you would do little imitations, you know, like you'd sing like the fine young cannibals guy or something like that. I, I don't want to hear my friends. Yeah, see, I'm not into that. That's personally not for me. But the haters guy thing is such like, that's the, what I think of as like the elemental Drew singing voice. Like if you were most fully yourself, you would talk like that all the time. <laughs> 
And so there's something about it that's really gratifying to me. I, the, the funniest one was, uh, this was some years ago. I'd have to go back and find out what it was. You know, you did the usual haters guy thing. And then at the end, you just threw in a little, yeah. At the end. <laughs> <laughs> and, was it the Hetfield? Yeah. Was it? Yeah. yeah. I think about that. It was, yeah. It was just one of the, uh, it was sort of, it was like half Dragula and like half just sort of you patting yourself on the back for, for killing it with it. And uh, yeah, that's, I think that's as, as much as I have laughed on a podcast was that. And it's certainly as much as I've laughed about something since. I like any, any rock song where they say, yeah, at the end, like they're super happy they did it. Or I like yeah. counting down the drums, three, two, one. Or saying someone, uh, when they say guitar before the guitar solo, like the these are just going, oh, yeah, guitar! That's <laughs> we had, so I went to my first show in like two years oh, last yeah. week. I'm so jealous of that was, show. It was great. Are you going to see them in New York? No, because I will be in Michigan. I think they're in New York like the day after Thanksgiving or something. So I'm like yeah. missing them. Like they're, I'm missing them in Michigan and missing them in New York. It's a drag. Yeah, the band was tight as Andronicus. It was very fun. A big value add for me though was that they were clearly, it was their first show in like two years. So they still sounded good, but they were having a blast. Like it was everything, people in the crowd, it was a lot of like guys being dudes type energy there. Like just like two buddies going to the show and then doing double high fives after they played like, you know, <laughs> like a more perfect union. And they were like, I was hoping they'd play that. That's great. <laughs> and it was just such a, a nice vibe. But anytime a, a band is clearly just fucking delighted to be up there, that is a... Uh, an absolute force multiplier for me. I just, I love it. That's great. Hey, Lauren, you were a great guest, and we're going to have you on again for another Tyson's Corner. You want to do that? Yeah, thanks. Uh, you were a great host. There's so much hockey Aww. on this podcast. This is like a new record. I remember yeah. I remember someone in the comments uh, when I released the uh, the Lights Went Out last month. Uh, they didn't, they don't listen to the podcast because they were in the comments and they were like, I got the audiobook, but Drew's voice, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Because yeah, I because I narrate the audiobook, they're like, I can't. Oh my god, I can't believe he sounds like that. Holy shit! So I apologize to that reader. No, Brandon Nix and Corinne Wallace are our producers. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. Thanks to Roth, Lauren, and I. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code Distract. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And go subscribe to Defector.com, too, while you're at it. And go get vaccinated if you haven't been vaccinated already. I cordially invite you to get vaccinated. And to join us among the vaccinated masses, because soon we're all going to party very, very hard. Roth, Lauren, I will see you next week. Yeah. Thanks. You might not see me next week, but Yeah, but anyway. I'll, I'll see you somewhere <laughs> in life. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs>